good to be here this morning. Amen. Thankful for God's grace to be here. For all those who are here. Take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 2. back to verse 11 kind of get the context of in our minds Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11 but when Peter was come to Antioch I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. This is Paul speaking now. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. The other Jews uh, dissembled likewise with him insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel... I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. And not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, as therefore Christ the minister of sin, God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law am dead to the law, but that I might live unto God. Here's our text verse this morning. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who gave himself, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Now I want to read verse 20 from the Amplified Bible. I think it gives a little more clarity. I have been crucified with Christ. That is, in Him I have shared His crucifixion. It is no longer I who live, but Christ the Messiah lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in, that is, by adherence to and reliance on and complete trust in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I think that gives a little more depth to 
through that verse. We've been looking in these later studies about the person or personality of Christ. We looked at the love of Christ. We looked at the light of Christ. Now this morning I want to proceed to the life of Christ. He loved us and he shed light in our dark heart. So now let's observe how his life affected and influenced and changed others. No one who Christ ever met changed Christ's person or personality. He was always the same. He affected someone else. Influenced others and changed others. As a born again believer, I have been crucified with Christ. Just according to that Galatians 2.20. It's no longer I who live or should not be. But Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the Hold in the body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself before me. This life is in Christ. It's righteousness. Let me say that again. This life is in Christ's righteousness. I want to read what most of you know is my favorite New Testament scripture verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. I repeat again, the life in us is Christ's righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5 21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we may be made the righteousness of God in Him. I always refer to that verse as a great transaction. (coughs) He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Romans 6, 6 Sheds a little light on that. It says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So the life in us that people may see is or should be the faith of the Son of God. Here we get our text from. Verse 20 of that Galatians 2, 20-21 says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. 
Men have their ways, don't they? All different. My personality is not the same as Brother Hilly's or Micah's or Dan's. And you say, thank goodness, and I, I may agree. And, and vice versa. We all have our unique personalities. We're all different. Men have their customs formed from any and every influence. These things shape our lives for better or for worse. I speak now there of the natural physical life. Life natural is man's highest possession, prized above all else. Man, we'd do anything to save our life physically, wouldn't we? Somebody threatens my life, I'm going to use the weapon I have at home if I have to, to preserve my life. Or whatever I may have. That's our highest possession. Men will lie to save their life. I can give you two good examples. Alex Murdoch, that we just, everybody was fixed to the TV about that. And I'll bring up one from the past, O.J. Simpson. They will compromise principles, sell their souls, so to speak in hopes of attaining that life. Being deceived by Lucifer that they could save that life. Who himself, I'll remind you, was deceived. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 14. <laughs> tells us about that old man. This is a very well-known passage of Scripture. Isaiah 14, verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said, now here's the deceiver, and thine heart I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mountain of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. 2 Thessalonians Chapter 2. And verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that day of Christ is at hand. 
that man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there be come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he is God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember you not what when I was with you, I told you these things. And now we, you know that what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let till he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness and them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. So men will do anything to preserve their life. Now the life of faith is a life of a love of the truth. If you're saved... You love the truth of God's word and you despise when it is twisted and bent and made to be other than what it is. Second Thessalonians 2.10 says, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. The life of faith is a life of a love of the truth. And that truth in the life of the believer has an aroma about it. You know, you get around a godless person, a Someone who is just as, as vile as a man can be. There's an odor about them. I, I, you know, you know what I'm saying. They, they give off something that is, is repulsive. But God's people also give off an aroma. Should. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14 and 15 says... Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you. For I will seek not yours, but you, for the children are ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. And that's the truth. Now notice that. That is not the verse. I didn't think that sounded right. Second Corinthians two, not twelve. Jim, get it straight here. Second Corinthians two, verse fourteen and fifteen says, "Now thanks be unto God, which also causes us to triumph in Christ and make manifest the savor, the savor. Notice that word, or fragrance." 
of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor yeah. of Christ. And them that are saved and them that perish. We were dead in sins, weren't we? Until we were made alive by Christ. You that may be here this morning lost, hear these words because they're life giving. Ephesians 2, verse 1 And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation. In times past and lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us, that word means made alive, mm -hmm. together with Christ, for by grace are you saved. And hath raised up together and made us sit together in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. <coughs> and this is the very epistle of Ephesians. In the first chapter, Paul lists the spiritual blessings one after another. As if in contrast to show how dead to God we were before we were being made alive. If you go back in first one of Ephesians, you says we're uh, we have spiritual blessings in Christ. Notice the word in Him. Chosen in Him. Redemption in Him. Verse 10 says, that the dispensation of the fullness of time, He might together together in one thing, all things in Christ. Verse 11, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance. In whom, verse 13, we also trusted. After that you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your son. In whom also. Notice time and time again it says, in whom, in whom. Every blessing that the child of God has is in Christ. <coughs> and he seems to set that before us, before he shows us that we were dead in sins. By the contrast, we see what we, what we are now before God saved us, being dead in sins. Chosen in Christ to be holy. That is elect before the foundation of the world. We're the called according to his purpose. Predestinated under the adoption of children, verse 5 there in Ephesians 1. Redeemed through the Sinless blood of Christ in verse 7. In Hebrews chapter 9, we must not omit reading that. In verse 12, 
neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. Those were just types. Those just showed by, by, by example what Christ's blood did. But by his own blood he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For the blood of bulls and goats and ashes and heifers, speaking to an unclean, sanctifies to purifying the flesh. <coughs> Excuse me. How much more shall the blood of Christ, <coughs> excuse me, go through the eternal spirit? Burg your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. <coughs> Please forgive me. We dream through the blood. We have an inheritance in Christ, verse 11. Sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. After that we heard the word of truth. The Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation as we gain knowledge of Him. Verse 17. Thank you. Hushner. The Holy Spirit of enlightening power. The Holy Spirit of great power. Toward us in verse 18. Oh, how we underestimate the power in us that God gave us and fail to call upon it and lightly esteem it so often. Seeking rather just to battle it out in our own flesh. This is the same power raised Christ from the dead. And all these blessings, we can understand what it means to be turned from darkness to light, from the power of Satan under the power of God and have forgiveness of sins. And the writer of this epistle didn't get it second hand. He experienced it himself. The Apostle Paul, we all know the life of the Apostle Paul. He spoke of himself as the chief of sinners. I would argue with him on that. I think I was. But Acts 26 and verse 15 says, And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and those things in which I will appear unto thee. Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles and whom now I send thee. What purpose was that, Paul? To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. And the power of Satan and of God they might receive forgiveness and sin. Why does God call saved men to do that? Because they're the only ones that understand it. They're the only ones that have experienced it. That they may receive forgiveness of sin and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith. That is in me. And so... <coughs> have to understand 
And Jesus is the perfect example of living before men and how to live before men. He was always about his father's business. I can't say that at my best. He influenced everyone he met. They were never the same after meeting Christ. That meaning of the Lord always affected and always altered the life that he met. I want to give you some examples of that in Christ's life. It was a very interesting study to me. In Luke chapter 2. Read through your Gospels in your leisure where it gives us the, the, the we find the history of Christ as he walked upon this earth and all the people that he encountered. Luke 2 verse 25 we have a very familiar individual named Simeon. Behold there was a man Luke 2 verse 25 in Jerusalem, whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout. <coughs> and waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Where is the time went, brother? Like I just got up here. It's real to him that by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death until before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Came by the Spirit of this temple, and when the priest's parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, and took he him up in his arm and blessed God and said, Lord, now lest thou serve depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Which thou hast prepared for the face of the people. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, Mother, behold, this child is set for the fall and for the rise again, which shall be of many in Israel. For a sign which shall be spoken against, yea, a sword shall pierce through my, my own soul also, that the thoughts of that heart may be revealed. Simeon beheld Jesus as he appeared in the temple. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and upon taking him in his arms, declared, Mine eyes have seen thy salvation. There was a change wrought in Simeon there. He had heard of him, and now he sees him. Let's read down a little farther. Anna, a prophetess. There was one Anna, a prophetess, verse 36, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. And she was of great age and had lived husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, and spake of him to them that looked for redemption in Israel. She was a, prophet, a, 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 a prophetess of great age. Lockyer, Herbert Lockyer says, all the women of the Bible place her age at this time around a hundred years old. A widow. 
one of the band of holy women, widows, who attended continuously upon the temple. They lived there. <clears throat> attended continually to the temple. Well, that would be an inspiration to pastors, wouldn't it? Simply put, she was one who had an understanding of the scriptures more than other women and cared enough to share it with other women. No matter how degenerate the world may be, he shows men and women how to live and we show him to others. God doesn't leave himself without a witness and don't let it be us that fails. Jesus at 12 years of age was in the temple instructing religious teachers. Find that in Luke 2, 41 through 47. In Luke chapter 3, verse 21 and 22, you find he taught the need to be baptized upon profession of faith. Again, I say no man was ever the same after meeting Jesus. The rich young ruler went away sorrowful. He was all wrapped up in his wealth. But after meeting Jesus, that, 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 that wealth did not hold the same meaning that it did before he met Christ. The, the Pharisees manifested more self-righteousness after they came to face to face with Christ. Great multitudes followed him. The blind and the lame and the deaf and the dumb. And the diseased and the infirmed. And he healed all who knew that they were sick and came for healing. The adulterous woman held no temptation for Christ. But after and before that, she had a lot of accusers in the most self-righteous Pharisees. But after she met Christ, she had no accusers. God had changed their life. Old Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a leper until he obeyed the prophet who declared the word of God. In Samaria, there in Second Kings five, he was never the same. After still, the same Nicodemus, except he didn't have the leprosy. I'm sorry, I'm getting Nicodemus messed up with the name. Excuse me. I'm, I'm go down on to Nicodemus now. Leper was Naaman. Nicodemus. A teacher of the Jews there in John chapter 3 where he came to Jesus by night. It's interesting. The Bible mentions three encounters of Nicodemus with Christ. Came to him by night. Came to him later. In uh, chapter 7 of John. We know John chapter 3. Most everyone is familiar with that one. Came to Jesus by night. 
But then in John chapter 7 and verse 50, we find Nicodemus again. He's a little changed, isn't he? <laughs> He's a little changed. Here they had brought Christ before the Sanhedrin. They wanted to charge him. They came, verse 45, then came the officers, the chief priest. And they said to him, why have you not brought him? The officers answered, never man spake like this man. And answered them, Pharisees, are you also deceived? Have any of you rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law of you are cursed. Now here's old Nicodemus. Nicodemus says then, He that came to Jesus by night be mean one of them. Doth our law judge any man before to hear him and know what he doeth? Here now he's defending Christ. Before he questioned Christ. He questioned the new birth. Now after meeting Christ, he's defending him. And then chapter 19 of John, and verse 39, we find old Nicodemus again. It says, And after this, Joseph of Marathia, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave he came therefore and took the body of Jesus and there came also Nicodemus how about that which at the first came to Jesus by night and bought a mixture of myrrh and aloes and about a hundred pound weight took the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices and the manner Jesus was took him off to be buried came to Jesus by night but after meeting Christ was openly defending him against those who he himself was a member of. And then the next time we see him, as I just read there, you see him with Joseph of Arathema. Both of them, unafraid to ask for Jesus' body, right. to bury him in his rightful place. You see, life is not in the Scriptures. It's in the person of the Scriptures, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. I read one time of a, of a man who was, I think it was England, he was getting to be uh, sentenced to death. And he stood there and, he, and he, they asked him if he had anything he wanted to say. Just to give you a, a good example of why it's good to remember scriptures. And he quoted the 119th Psalm, the whole 119th Psalm. It's 175 verses if I recollect. That's a pretty good memory job. And before he got through, his pardon came. Just a little interesting story. He, he read the scriptures, but the life wasn't in the scriptures. His life was saved by 
uh, that delay of the scriptures, but in salvation, Christ is the one that saves your life. It's interesting that in all of the Gospels, the word life, if you'll take your concordance, is mentioned more times in John than all the rest combined. Talking about the life of Christ. Would that surprise you then to know that John was a disciple in the scripture of whom it was said Jesus loved? No wonder then that when Christ yielded up his life that miraculous things occurred all signifying that his was a unique life. His life so affected people, but it affected creation. Yeah. No man took his life, first of all, he laid it down. And then not only did he lay it down, but he took it up. Right. Matthew 27, 50 and John 10, 17 and 18. And after that, the inner veil of the temple was rent from the top to bottom. Heard Brother King say in a message one time about, about that veil, how it was made, and that they, uh, they surmised that if you would take two trucks and look on one end, they could not rip that veil apart. It was, it was so intertwined and so knitted together. But God rent it from the top to the bottom. The earthquake quaked and the rocks split and the graves were opened and the bodies of the saints arose and appeared in the city unto many. There was three hours darkness over the whole land prior to his yielding up his spirit. The sun was darkened. Now the sun doesn't darken. The clouds darken it, but the sun doesn't darken it. But God darkened it. Interesting that John the Apostle, whom Jesus loved, wrote no details of Christ as he hung on the cross. Christ so affected his life that he did not want to look upon the place where he was crucified. Our testimony always, always to be too. Not the death, but the resurrection of Christ. He had to rise from the dead. Truly, my friend, he is the life. I might in closing ask you and ask myself, which I have. <clears throat> what, what influence would my life leave in my community if I were to die? What life would my what, what uh, death What kind of influence would I leave in my family at my death? Or the church upon my death? I 
I still think of those that I pass on. I think of Brother Cook all the time. And I love that old man. Would it be a sad time or a rejoicing at the remembrance of our life? Should be one of rejoicing if we had a bright testimony of the Lord. You know, there was a preaching service after Christ's death, and he was present at it because he arose. It was a continuation of his ministry. Now, I'm not having no funeral. I'm 81, and I, I begin to think about those things. I've already got my funeral paid for, and I'm all set to go, <laughs> uh, earthly-wise. But I'm having no funeral as such. At my death, I'm having a preaching service. Brother Hilly is going to preach it here at Bible Baptist Church, if he's alive, and the church is here. And you're all invited. I won't be here. <laughs> I remember when my wife was dying with cancer the last few days and people would come by the house to visit her and when they come in the door she said, no crying. She didn't want any crying. Don't cry for me if you happen to come. Unless there are tears of joy. I won't be here, just my decaying body. I'll be in heaven with my Savior.